Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're sitting down with Jeremy Mahler of the 1914 in Minburn, Iowa. The 1914 is an old railroad depot that Jeremy turned into a restaurant. And it was actually when I was sitting here one night after singing a few tunes with my buddies that I shared about this idea for a podcast. One that would tell the stories of people like Jeremy who are doing really awesome things in small towns. And honestly, Jeremy and everyone else sitting around the table that night had the same reaction, that I have to do that. So here we are a year later, and I am super honored to introduce you to my friend, Jeremy Mahler. Well, we're here today in Minburn, Iowa with Jeremy Mahler, who really you're an entrepreneur and have your hands in a lot of things. But what you're most known for here anyway is as the owner operator of the 1914. Currently, the 1914 is my jam. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this place. It's in an old depot that's been restored. It's awesome. So the story is so cool. Um, This depot that we're in was, uh, it's what the city of Minburn used for their uh, transportation for years and years and years. And unlike most old things that just get bulldozed and discarded, the city did a big campaign to save their building, to get it moved to its current location and uh, completely redid it. It's an absolutely gorgeous building and, uh, and I love it. Yeah. So it's listed on the National Register of Historic Places, right? Yes. So what was that like taking something that's there, and I know there's a lot of rules around that, and converting it into a restaurant? There is a lot of rules with that. Um, it, it does make it a little bit more challenging. Um, there's things that you can and can't do based on their rules. Um, but they're all, they all pretty much are common sense rules. Uh, so we couldn't put a big uh, sliding glass door where there wasn't a big sliding glass door before or anything like that. But... Um, all the things were able to come together. The biggest, the biggest problem that we had is we had to apply to penetrate the walls to hang TVs, which was a whole situation, and it still is a little bit of a uh, unique situation. All of our TVs are run on Wi-Fi because we couldn't put holes through the walls to get coax cable like everybody else has. So we got a neat uh, kind of technology solution to our old problem. Nice. Yeah. So tell us about your vision behind the 1914 and what people can expect when they come here. So with the 1914 um, and our proximity to Des Moines and also everything that is just so country about Membern. There is this is a town of 365 people, one for each day of the year. And... Uh, and we rely a lot on the bike trail, but we also have to make it uh, comfortable and appealing to to someone who doesn't want to go to Des Moines, who wants to be an, in a small town environment. And so that's kind of what we did with our menu. We kept it pretty simple. Um, burgers and pulled pork and brisket and just kind of uh, meaty, comforty things, but also appealing to bicyclists because that is a lot of our crowd being here on the bike trail. 
And you've worked really hard to incorporate local Iowa growers and providers, right? As much as we can. We yeah. really do. Uh, being a local business person, I understand how important that is for uh, everyone to help everyone. And so we, um, all of our bacon and our brisket and our pulled pork comes from uh, Des Moines Bacon Company, which is fantastic. Um, we get a lot of our stuff in the summer, especially from the farmer's market at Perry. It's, uh, we do everything that we can to try and uh, keep our dollars local. I love that. Well, something that I found out about you after I got to know you was that you oh, actually no. are, well, a lot of things, but <laughs> <laughs> one thing is you actually are a collector of railroad memorabilia. So the fact that you have a restaurant in an old railroad depot seems um, pretty fitting. And a lot of that, again, it's just so weird, some of these pieces that I have come by because it's not just railroad stuff that I would do. I love old signage and I love, I love just kind of everything old. And then I was able to utilize some pieces that I had had in storage here at the depot, which it's when that, when a thing like that comes full circle, um, it really feels cool. It's a, it's a neat feeling. Absolutely. Well, we've created an awesome vibe here and I know everybody loves it. Thank you. Well, you mentioned, the bike trail, and I want to talk a little bit about that because I'm amazed at how that pulls people to this very small town, like you mentioned. So it's the Raccoon River Valley Trail for anybody who wants to look it up, but it's actually an old railroad line, which is fitting for the depot as well. But talk about that a little bit and what that's done for your business. It is so cool. And it's not just, uh, it's not just our business. It's all the businesses that are on this trail, all these small towns with the uh, kind of the death of the small farm, um, these small towns started disintegrating and they started going away. Um, these big conglomerate farming situations came in and just, and these small towns were shrinking and the bike trail gives all these small towns another lifeline, another um, kind of financial stimulus to hang their hat on uh, where there was none before after the railroad line left. And so now we get to be a part of this really cool uh, reuse of an old thing that's now a new thing that is, uh, it's just a really cool situation and it's really helping out. I mean, not just us, obviously, but all of these little towns are building um, stops and restaurants and things that, that are uh, getting tax dollars into their communities so that they can do parks and other things with their with their communities and make their communities better and it's all because of the bicyclers and this trail it's a great investment in all these towns futures yeah so just to paint a picture for everybody you're located how far outside of des moines iowa so if you take the suburbs uh the westernmost suburb being waukee iowa we are 12 miles from waukee via the bike trail so you can get on your bike and ride 12 miles and you are, I mean, it doesn't get much more country than this, right? right? And that's, totally. and that's one of the, the, the things that for me, I remember when I first moved to LA, there was no, you couldn't just drive to the country. Like you couldn't just go 15 minutes and be back in the country. You were just in a city and it was all cities after cities, but here you can go 12 miles away and we are country. And people, they love it. It's an experience for them and they will plan their weekend around it. We get so many people that are, I mean, just people that travel here because this 
bike trail is kind of notorious as a place where you can ride uh, every six miles and stop in a cool little town and see cool different shops and have lunch or drinks or whatever in a different town. And, and so every year that I'm here, this, you know, we've been here for three years now, the momentum on that picks up and that is, uh, it's so encouraging and it's so cool to see. I meet so many characters from all over the place. We've had people riding their bikes across America. We've had people from Canada and people from Mexico all over that come here to our little communities to spend their money and their vacation time because of this trail. I know that there's an Airbnb in town and it's like always booked. It is. It's crazy. It is. It is. And it's, and that's another thing. That's another form of commerce that this trail is, is pushing. And it's, it's a thing that we wouldn't have without it. And it's fantastic. I love it. Well, you have kind of thought outside the box to capitalize on the opportunity that the trail brings. And you've actually created events to draw the people out here into these other small towns. Talk a little bit about that. So I come from a background of, uh, bars and restaurants in Des Moines where you're creating uh, events and situations because of the cutthroat nature of everyone trying to grasp people's attention and dollars. So it's, it's the same just with a different demographic out here rather than uh, it being cutthroat and me uh, bartering against other uh, entities. I'm trying to gain people's attention, trying to get them to come out of the house or give them a reason to, come and hang out on a Saturday night where normally they would not. Uh, we do live music and we do food specials and we do things that just try and just a little incentive to get people to come out and, uh, and hang out and be social and meet new people and have a cool evening out. Well, and one thing that I got to be part of this summer and I was just amazed was the Bay Coon ride. And I was just I knew there was a bike trail. I never realized the power of it until that day. And this place was swarming with people. People were having the best time. And it was like 100 degrees out and they were still out here. That ride is everything. It is so cool. Those guys put on such a great event. And it's, it's like a mini ragbri. It's like a one-day ragbri. The first year that we were involved, I thought that I had a grasp on what 5,000 bicyclists would look like. And I had no clue. Yeah. Like they just keep coming and coming and coming. And it's, and everybody has such a good time. And it's, it just, it's a really, really neat event. And we are fortunate to have, uh, again, people that are invested in this trail and in, and in these communities that uh, take their time and organize an event like that. Well, and you've created the Minburn Ride. The so Minburn Ride. <laughs> uh, we, as another event, do a cold weather ride, and it's kind of an homage to the Burr Ride that they do in Perry from uh, from Perry to Rippy. And uh, honestly, I was sitting around one day and I thought about the name Minburn with the B R R. In, in it like the burr ride and it just kind of made sense to me and it's it's nothing like the burr ride in the sense that it's on the trail as opposed to burr being on a highway and we do ours a little later in the season so it's a little bit more temperate but uh 
also a fun ride. Um, a couple hundred people that come out and, uh, and party like it's the middle of July when it's actually March and snowy or cold. And or, maybe 30 below. Yeah. <laughs> We've had that situation. <laughs> So you grew up in Perry, Iowa, which is just a few miles down the road, but your journey has led you a lot of different places before returning back here. I know there's a lot of stories, which some we can save those for later, but uh, give us a bit of a glimpse into your journey that took you away from here and then eventually brought you back. All right. So I will give you the most revised version possible. Um, my parents... Uh, moved us to Perry in 1986, I think. I was in sixth grade. Um, we came from rural Nebraska, and Perry seemed like a metropolis to me at the time. I remember riding my skateboard through Perry and just being in awe of how much of a city that was. Well, uh, because I was a really, really good kid, and I say that sarcastically, <laughs> My parents sent me to military school in ninth grade, and so I actually graduated from a military school in Missouri, and that just kind of, that living alone at that young age and being away from my friends and family kind of uh, set a wanderlust path for me, and then I, I did a lot of traveling, and I did a lot of seeing things, and was really, really fortunate to be in a lot of cool places at a really cool time. And, um, and then I moved back, uh, after eight or nine years of kind of traveling the United States and living in, I lived in Chicago and LA and San Diego and Nashville and San Antonio and Austin. And I came back to Des Moines and kind of fell in love with Des Moines and the surrounding area. And I had always considered myself like a big city kid. Like when I was in Perry, I always felt like I was made for the big bright lights. And even then I thought that Des Moines was still a town, but I fell in love with it. And, and I still kind of, I just, it's nice being home. It's nice to plant your roots and be home, I guess. Absolutely. So what are some of the biggest changes and maybe even challenges that you've had to face as you've adjusted to small town life and business? Because maybe we should take a step back. Like, okay. tell about what you did in Des Moines. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, so I moved back to Des Moines in 1999 and, uh, I bartending was my profession. I started bartending in Des Moines and uh, eventually, in 2007, I opened my own nightclub um, in the entertainment district in Des Moines, Court Avenue. Um, it was one of those perfect storms. I was at the right place at the right time, uh, right as that older entertainment district was uh, kind of putting a new face on and becoming the new face of Des Moines entertainment. And I got in right at the break time at a perfect time and uh opened a nightclub that was uh hugely successful and so much fun uh i miss it sometimes uh and then i opened up another bar with some friends of mine that was more of a live music venue which is kind of more my speed and i just i had a really good go in des moines but i was ready to stop i don't want to call it the rat race but just kind of the 
the everyday trying to beat out all the other competitors for the dollar bill. I was ready to slow it down a little bit, which I do. I consider myself pretty fortunate to have learned at such a young age that uh, it's not always about the dollar, that uh, your happiness doesn't depend on your bank account. And um, I moved to the country. I simplified everything in my life and uh, am so much happier for it. Yeah. Well, you were kind of, and I know because you're humble, you're not going to say this, but you were a visionary behind what was going on in downtown Des Moines at the time. I think you saw the potential behind that place. I don't know if I would say I'm a visionary. I just bitch a lot, Dana. <laughs> uh, and so if I see something, um, I'll give you an example. Um, when, when we started building Liars Club, the name of the the Court Avenue area was called the Historic Downtown Court Avenue Entertainment District. And I said, uh. <laughs> um, that doesn't really roll off the tongue. I think that we can do a better job. And so we got, uh, we formed a committee and uh, hired a marketing firm and we got the name changed to the Court District, which it's still branded that way today. It's something that I'm pretty proud of, I guess. Um, but I would say it starts with me complaining about things. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know how to get things done. Uh. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, jumping back into that question, though, what are some of the challenges that you've had to face? And, you know, as you made that transition, because this is a lot different than downtown Des Moines. It is so much different. And, uh, and that especially shows itself in the winter during the bicycling season. Um, it doesn't feel that much different than being in Des Moines because we have a constant flow of traffic from the suburbs. Um, in the winter, when the bicycles go away in between bicycling and snowmobile season, it does become, uh, uh, you know, fishing for people. We have to give people a good reason to come out of their homes or, uh, come out after work or bring their children after a basketball game or whatever, which is, you know, it's, uh, it keeps me on my toes, keeps yeah. me thinking, um, always trying to evolve and do the best job that I can to give, re like give people a reason to come spend their dollars with us. Cause that's, you know, that's a big decision that people have with, you know, children and, uh, expenses and mortgages and all those things. We have to, we, we strive to provide something that they feel good about that they've spent their money with us. So, Absolutely. Well, even if you don't want to call yourself a visionary, I really believe you are a visionary because I see all the things that you have your hands in. And I want to talk a little bit about how that's now expanding into your hometown of Perry, Iowa. So um, last summer I was approached by... Uh, uh, Eddie Bacon, who owned uh, the Bacon Jewelry Store with his uh, father and their family. Um, I had known Eddie and his father since I was a young, young child. They lived uh, adjacent from my grandparents, which um, provided, you know, I had known them since I was a kid. And uh, they were ready to be out of the market in Perry. They had a fire in their building and uh, which shut down their operation and the operation next door and the Ben's five and dime. It's kind of a big deal in Perry. Um, 
and they were ready to kind of cash in their chips and uh, and put all of their interest in their new Boone store, which I don't think anybody can blame them. That was, uh, and so um, they asked me if I'd be interested in uh, buying their building, and I was interested. Um, so now I'm going through a process of trying to establish some other businesses in Perry. More to come on that you at know, a later date. Um, I think probably soon. I will have some news. I can't wait. Yeah, it's uh, you know, the building is awesome. It also is on the National Historic Registry. It was built in 1899, and it's just one of those like it feels like a grandfather when I'm inside of the building. It just has a warm, knowing feeling, and I love that about that building. Awesome. Well, I know you can't share a lot about that yet, but we will be posting more as stuff becomes public in the future and we're excited to follow along so awesome thank you yeah well in case you haven't picked up by now jeremy is a creative at heart one of your favorite projects and you have a lot of them but that i have loved following is the restoration of your scout oh gosh that is a love-hate relationship (laughs) um yeah uh, I bought a 1965 International Scout uh, to redo. It was actually, um, that's kind of a it's kind of a cool story. Uh, I had just moved back um, to the area to Perry. I actually live in Jamaica, and Jamaica, um, Iowa. Jamaica, Iowa. Yeah, yeah. no passport <laughs> required. And um, I was reconnecting with my childhood friends who. I had always I had always remained friends with, but um, honestly, if I were if I were being honest, I probably had forsaken them a little bit, and I wanted to do something with some of my friends, and that was the catalyst for that. And so I went to Nebraska, uh, me and a couple of my friends. They went with me, and we picked up this old junky scout that I should have left in a field in Nebraska, but. Like I loved it, and I knew that it would give me time with my friends that I that I hadn't had in a really long time, and so we spent years, two and a half years now, restoring this scout, and it is almost done, and it is gorgeous. I love it, and it is way more than I ever anticipated it was going to be, and it and that's one of those things that just. I mean, maybe that's the root of who I am. I love bringing things that were once old and glorious back to their glory days. And that's kind of, it gives me just an awesome feeling on the inside when I accomplish that. Well, everybody go check out Jeremy's Instagram page and you can see pictures of this scout and also a lot of the other creative projects that he's working on. What is it that you love about small town life and the opportunity that our small towns have? Oh my God, there's so many things. I could go on on this subject forever. Um, Having lived in so many of the United States' major metropolitan areas, I love the simplicity of life. I love the safety of life. I love uh, knowing my neighbors. I I love conversations with people. I love to reminisce. I love... Everything. I mean, I really could go on about this forever. Um, it's small towns 
especially your hometown is a warm blanket and that and it just feels so good to be inside of that and to have that the support that comes along with seeing people that you've known your whole life i mean that's just it's it's different than living in a metropolitan area where you always feel like you're forging your own way and kind of fending off everyone else and and that i mean that's my jam i really do and it's so weird because i grew up in such small towns my my military school i graduated with six other people in my class and you could i couldn't get to chicago fast enough and now <laughs> the thought of living in that situation and just it just it's not for me anymore one thing that i know you and i share a common love for is creativity and we've had conversations about just possibility of creative things in rural areas why do you believe rural america is primed for a creative a creative movement I don't know why it's ever been considered not ready. Um, I think that uh, you get so many of these um, commercial things going on uh, and they, because of the dollars, they center themselves around major market areas. Uh, I lived in Austin in the mid nineties and at that time, Austin was full of mom and pa shops and that's what the whole keep Austin weird movement and all that was based around the knowledge that once the big corporations found out how cool of a place it was that they would come in and ruin everything. And I visited Austin in the early 2000s and it was so different, but that's because of all those dollars because people, people that are uh, investing those millions and millions of dollars think that you have to be in a major metropolitan area. But that doesn't mean that people in small towns don't appreciate those things and want those things to be around those things. and art and culture is thriving in small town America. And I think it's because they kind of, they were starved from it for so long because the people with the dollars were in the cities and, and now it seems to be booming everywhere and it's absolutely beautiful. And I feel like there are just these amazing artists tucked away in rural America that I just want people to see their work because they're amazing. There's so much cool stuff going on. People that build things with their hands that you never even knew was a thing. And it's so untapped. And I see things, friends of mine that are building and making things and uh, places where you can go see art that isn't at some gallery in a major city. It's a kid or a retired lady or whatever it is that's making things with their heart and not making it for anybody but themselves. And it's rad. It's so cool to see. Yeah, I look forward to seeing more of that in rural America. And I really want to just cheerlead those people on. So Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, the more recognition it gets, it's just, it's a snowball effect. And the more people see that there is talent and there is uh, an outlet for those things in small towns. And then it just feels like it's really uh, gaining so much momentum. That's so cool. Totally agree. Well, what's the best way for people to follow along with you and what you have going on? You know, uh, we have a page for the 1914, um, which is just me. And it's my horrible humor and sometimes uh, grammar errors and spelling errors and whatever. I don't, 
and we don't pay a marketing firm to do this. This is just us. It's who we are. And, you know, we hope that it's likable, I guess. It's uh, totally likable. Thank you. Yeah. And you personally. Oh. On uh, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Uh, I am Mahler, M-A-H-L-E-R, which I get lots of people that tag me in Gustav Mahler, the composer. <laughs> so I get lots of weird, like, European tags, which is kind of fun. Um, and then Jeremy Mahler on Facebook. It's just, it's just me, baby. I love it. And if you're creative, you will love following Jeremy. You will be inspired. I promise. And you'll learn very quickly that I wish I could draw. (laughs) Well, Jeremy, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always a blast. Always blast hanging out with you. You too. And we'll do another one once you can talk more about your upcoming projects. Is that, is that a teaser? Is that, yeah. you're laying a teaser out right now? Yeah. I'll high five that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Thank Bye. you. Well, I hope you loved that conversation as much as I did. Now you can see why Jeremy's story and life helped spark this idea for a podcast. He really lives out this idea of community over competition, and I am so excited to see how these next projects that he's taking on evolve. And I hope this episode especially encourages you that if you have an idea in your heart that you just can't shake, to take a chance and go for it, because that's what I did with the Rural Revival podcast, and I had no idea that this is what that would look like a year later. And if that's you, if you have that idea burning in your heart, know that I am here cheering you on all the way. Well, thanks so much to Jeremy for being on the podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes and go give Jeremy a follow on social media. He's always full of ideas and has a lot of fun things going on, as you can tell. And thanks to you for tuning in. Have a great day and a Merry Christmas.